we've done with these little clips we did while we were out west, we shot those up on the text machine. So <clears throat> you can watch them from there. Of course, they're up on our YouTube channel too. But if you're not on our text machine, just uh, check out the, the scroll. There it is now. That's how you do it. They say that's how you do it. Uh, like I said, I'm a guy with a smartphone and a dumb user. So, But if you uh, need help doing that, we can help you with that. <clears throat> so <clears throat> we're, we're in a study in Job, but I'm going to do a little bit. Uh, I feel like it's my job to keep you prepared to some degree. I, I believe, like I said, Sunday. And we're getting <clears throat> all kinds of hits <clears throat> from that stuff a lot quicker than anything we've done. So uh, just uh, it's the time. It's the season. Uh, I don't know if this kind of went unnoticed, but uh, today the UN dropped all of its sanctions against Iran, so now Iran can sell its missiles to anybody in the world. So, Merry Christmas to the world. Uh, so, we're live. We want to welcome all you that have joined us wherever you're at around the globe, and uh, <clears throat> those of you that will get this podcast. <clears throat> I want to show you some stuff before we get back to the book of Job. Uh, but let's pray first, and then we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for this time we have together. Thank you for those who are here. There's a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of uh, concern in our world, Lord, but we know that you said we don't have to be afraid, and you've got a plan for all this, Lord, and we just, we just want to be a part of that plan. And We know that you're able to do far above what we can think or ask. And Lord, we just pray that your will will be done. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. That's our prayer. And we know you've got set times, set places, set things to put in motion. And uh, we come in agreement with that, Lord. Your ways are above our ways. And so uh, we see a lot of trouble. But we know we brought uh, the world has brought that in on themselves for continuing to neglect you and turn a deaf ear to your word. Uh, help us not to be people like that, Lord. Help us to be the ones that still... Proclaim the gospel and the truth of everything you taught us, Lord. We ask, Lord, that you'll be with those that are sick and afflicted, Lord. A lot of sickness going around. We pray that you'll minister to them tonight and take care of them and raise them up from their bed of affliction. In Christ's name, amen. So let's look at a few scriptures here. Uh, Genesis 6 and 11. I'm going to shoot some on the screen here for you to watch says, the earth was corrupt before God, and all the earth was filled with Hamas. That's the word. That's the word. Instead of violence, in the Hebrew, the word's Hamas. Look at uh, Job 16 and 17. Same thing. Here she said, although no Hamas is in my hands... And my prayer is pure. That was Job when he was trying to, one of the times he was trying to make his case. It gets better. Watch this, Isaiah 60 and 18. Hamas shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction with your borders, but you shall call your wall salvation and your gates praise. So it's a time where God's going to do away with Hamas. And I believe, as I shared with you Sunday uh, out of Psalm 83 there, that that day's coming soon. And then the rest of the nations will wind up getting involved reluctantly. And we're going to see this thing come to its end. Uh, you'll be getting some more of that from a different angle Sunday as well. Look at Ezekiel 7 and 11. <clears throat> Hamas has risen up into a rod of wickedness. None of them shall remain. None of their multitude, none of them, nor shall there, wail, shall there be wailing for them. Look at verse 23 in the same chapter. Make a, chain for the, make a chain for the land is filled with crimes of blood and the city is full of Hamas. That's the word that's used there. And then this last one I thought was interesting because it's prophetic in Obadiah chapter 1 verse 10. For Hamas against your brother Jacob. Right? He's talking to Esau which is the Edomites which is uh, the Ishmael, all that stuff, working along with the Ishmaelites. For Hamas against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. So, <clears throat> one of the things that I, 
that we need to be excited about is that God's plan is going to come to pass. You know, we all want to see an end to violence, you know, and, and lawlessness is how the New Testament uses the same kind of word in the New Testament. Obviously, it's a Greek word, not Hamas, a Hebrew word, but lawlessness is what we see. People doing things that it's just hard to even imagine, you know. Even in our own country in the last three or four years, things that have went on, people just doing things that we can't even fathom. You can't fathom that people would do the kind of things they do. And now you see, and I see, why God's judgment is so severe and swift. Uh, did you think that men could be this wicked? I mean, it's just wicked how people have distorted everything God has made and distorted it and turned it to wickedness. And now we see how all that probably fell out before the flood. He said, all flesh is filled with violence. And so that is where we're at in this world. The, the intensity of violence is over in Israel right now and around there, but there's violence going on everywhere in, in our own country. Uh, lawlessness, people doing things that you and I would probably never consider doing. I, and in fact, there's a verse in Jeremiah that caught my attention a few years ago uh, that God told Israel, said, you all are doing things I've never even thought about. It's an interesting statement. Of course, God, He don't do evil, but... How, how debased and debauched people can get and how ruinous and how evil. And, of course, Satan's behind all this. God and Satan are the two forces at work here. And Satan, every, every religion that does not have Jehovah, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit as its centerpiece is false. And who do you think's behind that? Satan. He wants people to be deceived. He wants them to be deceived. And it's the one thing that makes me sad is how these young men, mostly young men, are in Islam are filled with hate their whole lives. And then they're lied to and told them they got this big pile of flesh waiting on them on the other side. It's just sad to see how manipulated they are, and how they train them that way from the get-go. They fill them with such hate and, uh, and lies. And then here they rush off into, and they, that's how they justify things. They justify killing babies, raping women, whatever. Uh, it's just sad to see how much evil has taken over our world. We live in a world filled with sin, and the wages of sin is death. The escape for us is through Jesus Christ. If you, everybody in this building was a sinner. <laughs> we all had to be born again, saved, redeemed, however you say that. So, and the way for us to overcome wickedness and to have eternal life is to be born again through Jesus Christ. Uh, <clears throat> we're supposed to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. This uh, trouble is coming to America too. We won't be exempt from it. And I think it's the prophet who said that Jerusalem will become a burdensome stone to all nations. It's going to become a burden to everybody. Because what's going to happen over time is people get weary, right? And then they start shifting the blame. Of course, some of that's already started. And uh, so <clears throat> then people have to choose sides. So I talked to you about that Sunday morning. So just be on guard and know that the, the world has changed. It's not going back to the way it came, was before. Uh, we're not going to have a world that's not filled with wars and rumors and wars. Jesus told us about that. And we'll talk some more about that Sunday. Let's go to the book of Job <clears throat> and pick up where we left off a couple weeks ago. Uh, in Job chapter uh, 29, Job chapter 29, Job's uh, continuing to talk here. He's going to finish talking in these next couple of chapters, two or three chapters. 
Then the youngest guy is going to step up. We may not get to him tonight. And then finally, God's going to start talking. And that will clear everything up. Uh, But Job's got to the place now to where he's trying to defend himself uh, pretty aggressively. And it's fueled with pride to some degree. We all have pride in us. And that's what God wants to empty out of us is our pride. And Job's no different, although he was a good man and he didn't do anything particularly to bring this on him. We can still see the flesh working in his life. We all deal with the flesh. Can you say amen? Job further continued his, in chapter 29 verse 1, Job further continued his discourse and said, Oh, that I were... Uh, as in months past and then days when God watched over me. So now, this trial he's been going through has been going on for a while. Weeks, maybe a few months. And he's starting to remember how good things used to be. Right? He says, when God watched over me. Now, God's still watching over him, but he can't understand how he would be going through trouble. And we've talked a lot about that through this uh, study. When his lamp shone upon my head, and when by light I walked through darkness, just as I was in the days of my prime, when the friendly counsel of God was over my tent. In other words, everything was going my way. Didn't matter if it was daytime or nighttime. When the Almighty was yet with me, and when my children were around me. Now think about that. We forget about Job's humanity because he is such a fantastic guy. And he is somebody who refused to let go of God even though he lost it all. And, and that's a tough position to be in. You know, it's easy for all of us here today while our things are going okay for us, for us to say, well, if I lost everything, I'd still be serving the Lord. That's a mouthful. It's a mouthful. And that's why we take strength from somebody like Job because he actually lived that out. But it's just not that flippant. It's just not that easy. You wake up with 10 children one day and wake up the next day with all 10 of them dead. See how you feel. And he's remembering that. See, he says, I'm, I'm remembering. And this is one of the books I use if I start feeling sorry for myself. Because Job went through a lot more than any of us will ever go through probably in a 24-hour period than we'll go our whole life. And he says, uh, in the days of my prime, God was with me when my children were around me. And you can only imagine the emotion that's in that moment. When my steps were bathed with cream and the rock poured out rivers of oil for me. When I went out to the gate by the city and when I took my seat in the open square, the young men saw me and hid and the age arose and stood The princes refrained from talking and put their hand on their mouth. The voice of nobles was hushed and their tongues stuck to the roof of their mouth. When their ear heard, then it would bless me. And when their eye saw, then it approved me. So he had favor with everybody. And he was really like the go-to guy in the culture. He said, look what the things he's recalling that he did. And this this is a little bit prideful coming out of him. He's not out here pronouncing it to the world, per se. It it comes to us eventually. But he's with his buddies, and he's trying to discern and figure out why he's going through all this. They've had their ideas of why he's went through all of it. And now he's kind of uh, having to battle here with the flesh. He He says, because I delivered the poor who cried out, the fatherless and the one who lay had no helper, the blessing of a perishing man came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. All those things he done there is we're supposed to do as Christians. So Job was living like a Christian before Christianity came. He was visiting the fatherless and the widows in their time affliction of affliction, like James said. He was mourning with those who were mourning. So uh, we have a few guys in the Old Testament who had New Testament revelations. King David is one of those. He went in and got the showbread. He had no business going in and getting the showbread. But he understood something. He understood something most people didn't understand. He knew that God was after a relationship, not religion. Don't touch that showbread. But he knew God was after a relationship. Abraham 
knew God was after a relationship. And Abigail understood that, who became David's wife. You have people in the Old Testament who had New Testament revelations. They knew what God was after. In fact, let me show you this so you can uh, remember this. <clears throat> Everybody, when you read the Old Testament, these guys weren't dummies. But uh, back before the law was Abram. And Abram was called to live by faith. And then after the law was the cross. And here's where we... So God has always been after faith. But he gave the law. And if you've never watched that, you might want to go on the YouTube channel and watch that. The law is an x-ray. It explains this more thoroughly than I'm going to right here. But the law came to prove to us that we couldn't get to God on our own merit and our need for a Savior. But God, Abraham didn't live under the law. Abraham walked by faith. So it's always been faith that God's after. But we're hard-headed and stubborn, right? So God gave us the law to prove to us our inability to get to God in our own strength because nobody kept the law except for Christ, of course, and then our need for a Savior. That's what the law did. It's like an x-ray, and that's why that little clip on there is labeled an x-ray because the law does not fix the problem. It only identifies it. It identifies what's wrong with us. Paul said, I didn't have any sin until the law came. When the law came, sin showed up, and bam, there I was. <laughs> right? Because an x-ray don't fix the problem. It just identifies it. You have to have the great physician, in our case with Jesus, he's the great physician. Or even in the natural, you have to have the physician or the medicine. But the x-ray just identifies the problem. And that's what the law did. We were called to live by faith. We've always been called to live by faith. So uh, there, you have these people in the Old Testament who understood that God wanted a relationship. It's not about formality that we just show up and do certain rituals, but it's about having a relationship. Now, I'm going to say something here, and I want you to let this sink down into years. Christianity, and because this is hard, because we are men and women of flesh just like Job, but Christianity is more about being than doing. Being like Christ. Having a change inside of your heart. The right purpose, the right attitude. Being a Christian. Somebody who lives their Christianity in the audience of one when nobody else is around. Right? And so that's where Christianity gets its strength and its power in being. Now, back to Job, he says, He was put on righteous and clothed me. My justice was like a robe and turban. I, I was eyes to the blind. I was feet to the lame. I was a father to the poor. And I searched out the case that I did not know. In other words, I didn't let things go. You know, I tried to help people that were in trouble. I broke the fangs of the wicked and plucked the victim from his teeth. <clears throat> Then I said, I shall die in my nest and multiply my days as the sand. My root is spread out to the waters and the dew lies all night on my branch. My glory is fresh within me and my bow is renewed in my hand or my bow. Men listened to me and waited and kept silence for my counsel. After my words, they did not speak again, and my speech settled on them as dew. They waited for me as for the rain, and they opened their mouth wide as for the spring rain. I, if I mocked at them, they did not believe it, and the light of my countenance they did not cast down. I chose the way for them and said as a chief, said as chief, so I dwelt as king in the army as one who comforts mourners. So... We might would say here that he's been a little bit haughty here. But I, this doesn't stem from him trying to be better than everybody else. <clears throat> it stems from his, his inability to realize, why am I going through this? Now, let's, let's just be real. If you face trouble, the biggest question we have sometimes is why. Right? Why? And how can this be good? Right? How is me burying 10 of my children a good thing? 
right? And we always look at things from pro and con, and we're limited in our ability to discern things like that. God has far greater ability to discern things than we do. He's been around the corner before we get there. <clears throat> now, uh, as we'll see this unfold, you're going to see Job get double. He's going to get double back from everything he lost. Because when you go through trials, if you'll endure, you'll be blessed on the other end. That's God's way of doing things. That's how he works. But it's those people that get weary and doing well and start fainting that, that miss out. In Galatians 6 and 7, it says, Do not get weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you do not faint. And that's the challenge. We've said this many times. God can use people who aren't perfect. He does it all the time. He can use people who don't know everything, but God can't use a quitter. He can use anybody but a quitter. And we would basically say that too, right? In, in, in given situations, even in the natural. If you don't show up, if you're not going to be a part of the team, we can't use you. And as you get more serious about your Christian walk, and I think it's time for all of us to do that, and step into that, you become a greater target for Satan. That's just part of the game. As long as you're on the sidelines, he don't have to fool much with you. They do not tackle the people standing on the sidelines. They tackle the people out in the field that are trying to advance something, right? Those are the ones that get resisted. You know, we, you, you can have a guy that never gets in the game, that his uniform never has a piece, uh, has any blood on it or mud on it or anything. Of course, they don't get mud on them anymore. They don't play on dirt. But they, all of that stuff, these guys will not, if you set yourself out, remember like I talked about the trains being coupled together, if you set yourself on a sidetrack, you won't attract as much attention from Satan because he don't see you as a threat. So Job's out there, obviously. He's out there really in the middle of everything, being a God follower and doing right things, doing the right thing. And he just cannot see how God's allowed this to come upon him because he's doing the right thing. And he says, uh, but now, see, he said, this is the way it used to be, but now they mock at me, men younger than I whose fathers disdain to put, uh, I disdain to put with the dogs of my flock. Indeed, they, what profit is the strength of their hands to me? Their vigor has perished. Uh, they are gaunt from want and famine, fleeing late to the wilderness, desolate and waste, who pluck mallow by the bushes and broom tree roots for their food. They were driven out from among men. They shouted at them as a thief. They had to live in the cliffs and the valleys and caves and the earth of the rocks. Among the bushes they brayed under the nettles and they nestled. They were sons of fools. Yes, sons of vile men. They were scourged or scourged from the land. People who had gotten so vile that they were outcast. And that's happened all down through time. And now I am their taunting song. Yes, I am their byword. Uh, the bad people now are even bad-mouthing, Joe. They abhor me. They keep far from me. They do not hesitate to spit in my face. Now, what I want you to think about as you read, as we go through chapter 30 here, is think about Jesus. Because there's a little, I think there's a shadow here coming out of Christ and all he... He was spit on, he was mocked, he was punched, he was lied on. He died with sinners. Jesus died like a sinner. They, they crucified wicked people. That's what that was reserved for. That's why they, they crucified. He, he, he died even though he knew no violence. I believe is what it says in the New Testament. He knew no Hamas. He knew no violence. He did no sin. Yet he died just like a sinner. Now the people that didn't know him or know who he was and believe who he was, what do you think about him? What if they just come to town that day? And they looked up there and they thought, who is the guy in the middle? He must really be a wicked man. Look what all they've done to him. 
They didn't just nail him to that cross to let him die like the other two. They have beat him, whipped him, punched him, sped on him, mocked him. Wonder how wicked he must be. But guess what? He was hanging on the tree you and I should have been on. We were the wicked ones. All we like sheep have gone astray. There's none good, no, not one. So he, that tree that he hung on should have been ours. And he hung on that tree with people who didn't know. They must have been thinking, how wicked was he? Now we understand, right? We're believers. We know why he hung on that tree and why he died that way. He's become, and Job is experiencing the same thing. He said, they spit in my face, verse 11, because he has loosed my uh, bowstring and afflicted me. They have cast off restraint before me. At my right hand, the rabble arises. They push away my feet. They raise against me their ways of destruction. They break up my path. They promote my calamity. They have no helper. They come as a broad breakers under the ruinous storm. They roll along. Terrors are turned upon me. They pursue my honor as the wind and my prosperity has passed like a cloud. And now my soul is poured out because of my plight. The days of affliction take hold of me. My bones are pierced in me at night. And my gnawing pains take no rest. Jesus took on the nature of the flesh, so from the time they started punching him and, and shoving that crown of thorns on his head and taking that whip across his back, he had to be in misery from there all the way through the cross. We can't imagine. From what most theologians believe, they believe that Jesus' back was so shredded with that whip that his organs were probably showing He bled so much, and I've got some writings that they attribute to Pilate about how much blood was on the steps of the praetorium. I don't believe any mere man would have made it from the block to the cross without dying. Now here's the difference. Jesus didn't have any sin. The Bible says death reigns because of sin. In other words, the reason we die is the effects of sin. Because we had forefathers that sinned, Adam and Eve. Obviously, we, we are born in the same. We've sinned, so we, we, the wages. So, but Jesus never sinned one time. That's why he said, no man takes my life, I lay it down. When you read his final moments there, he said he gave up the ghost. No mere man would have made it to the cross alive. Everything he went through. But death could not take him. Do you understand the power of his life? Death could not take Jesus. He had to release the ghost. Death had no legal claim to just come by and take his life. Because he had no sin. So Jesus had to release his own spirit. Because death had no power or authority to separate his body from him. Jesus had to lay his life down. No man takes my life, he said. I lay it down. Now the rest of us, we, we die because of sin. But Jesus, death had no legal claim on him. And so Job, as he works through this, he says, The gnawing, my pains, I have no rest. By great force, in verse 18, my garment is disfigured. It binds me about as a collar of my coat. Uh, he has cast me into the mire, and I become like dust and ashes. I cry out to you, but you do not answer me. I stand up, and you, and you regard me. But you have become cruel to me. With the strength of your hand, you oppose me. You lift me up to the wind and cause me to ride on it. You spoil my success, for I know that you will bring me to death and to the house appointed for all living. Surely, now this is a mistake by Job, but he can't figure it out any other way. God has withdrew his hand and he's let Satan come in. God's not responsible, per se, for Job's trouble. But he's allowed Satan to come in on him. 
Surely he would not stretch out his hand against a heap of ruins if they cry out when he destroys it. Have I not wept for him who was in trouble? Has not my soul grieved for the poor? And he says, I've been right there with other people going through stuff. But when I looked for good, evil came to me. And when I waited for the light, then came darkness. My heart is in turmoil and cannot rest. Days of affliction confront me. I go about mourning, and not in, but not in the sun. I stand up in the assembly and cry out for help. I am a brother of jackals and a companion of ostriches. My skin grows black and falls from me. My bones burn with fever. So he's, not only is he suffering, but his body's been afflicted as well. He's going through it all. He's a type of Christ, suffering, all that. He don't have the full understanding of that. But he's, he's going through a lot of hardship. And he can't... My harp is turned to mourning. My flute to the voice of those who weep. And Joe, he continues. I think this is the last time he's going to talk in this chapter. He said, I've made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? For what is the allotment of God from above and the inheritance of the Almighty from on high? In other words, he wouldn't allow his eyes to see the wrong thing or to look at things in the wrong way. So hold your spot there and let's, let's, let's look at a few passages about the eye. We'll come back to that in a minute. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, <clears throat> he talks about the eye. Jesus does. When he's speaking to us there, Matthew chapter 6, verse 22, Matthew 6, verse 22, he talks about, he says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now if you notice, sound, they've improved sound in maybe different ways we hear things. But the focus for the world, and I believe for Satan, has been visual media. Because that's the gateway into people. Right? This visual media. And they've got us now so moved in that direction... <clears throat> That they say it's interrupting our sleep and everything, right? That blue light and all that stuff that comes along with a phone and all that. This media, this visual media. Notice the billboards. Most of the time with media, they've never replaced anything. They just keep adding to. Giving us new avenues to get our eyes fixed on something. And the devil's worked aggressively and quite extensively to capture eyes of men and women so that he can get our attention and get us focused on the wrong things. Now, let's go to 1 John in the New Testament. One of his epistles, 1 John chapter 2, look at verse, we're going to look at verse 15 in 1 John chapter 2. Notice what he says here about the eye. He says... Do not love the world or the things in the world. They're here and, here and there. Enjoy the world. Enjoy whatever, but don't get caught up in it, right? If anyone loves the world, <clears throat> the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and here's the next, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. There's something about our eyes that are captivated, right? The world, the culture, Satan, this, the Bible says Satan's the god of this world, and he loves to get our attention and focus on, this, on the wrong things so that he can start getting us to go down the wrong path. Now notice what it said about Lot. If, we, if I took you back to Genesis, the Bible says about Lot, the first thing it says about him, he looked toward Sodom. That's the first thing he did wrong. 
Then the second thing we read, just a few verses later, it says he pitched his tent that toward Sodom. He got a little closer to it, right? And that's how temptation works. That's how the devil works, right? Get you focused on something that's not of God and start luring you in. Then you read a few verses more and then we find out that Lot's actually living in Sodom. So he looked toward Sodom, pitched his tent toward Sodom, and the next thing you know, he's living in Sodom. What did it cost him? Everything. It cost him everything. His wife... And his daughters came out, and his wife looked back, so she turned into a pillar of salt. The Bible says, if salt's lost its savor, it's good for nothing to be cast out in the path, trodden under the foot of men. She was left in the path, because even though her body had come out of Sodom, her heart was still down there. And then the two girls got on, and they had been so corrupted by what was going on in Sodom, that they got their father drunk and had relations with him. And two of the wickedest people that the world's ever known come out of those two nights. The Moabites and the Ammonites. And you know how it all started? Because Lot looked the wrong direction. He looked the wrong direction. And that's what the devil's trying to do with the world. You... You, you go through uh, some of these larger cities and they got stuff on billboards trying to get your attention. They want to get your attention. They want the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh to get involved. They want us to do what Lot did. They want us to look that way. Then they want us to come get near, warm our hands that way, and then they want us to get in with them. That's Satan. That's how he works. And he does most of his work through what he can put in front of us to see. And that's why, even if it's, even if it's the other way, and how I, I, many of you all have heard me say, if you're believing God for something, <clears throat> the chances are, whatever you're believing God, let's say you came to the altar Sunday, and you really felt like the Lord gave you strength and faith to believe for something, maybe in your family or whatever. Not all the time, but many times, whatever you're believing God for, the devil will set something in front of your eyes that's just the opposite of that. Because he wants you to back down. He loves using these eyes as a gateway, right? So that he can put doubt in us, unbelief, lust, greed, all that stuff he wants. And, and Lot <clears throat> lost everything because he looked the wrong way. Now, Job, let me, let me show, uh, uh, let's go back to Job. Let me show you, Job made a covenant with his eyes that he would not look upon his handmaiden. So basically, he said, I'm not going to give my myself an opportunity to lust, right? He's going to say, uh, I think Billy Graham was this way, and I knew another big-time preacher that... You know, when you would have seen Billy Graham, even if you uh, weren't a church person, most people would have known who Billy Graham was, right? Same thing with this other guy I'm t uh, referring to. And if you, There's a few preachers in our time that they could pretty much go anywhere in the world and people would know who they were. And so they talked about how uh, that they wouldn't, if they got on an elevator with a woman, and it was, even though they didn't know them, they would step off and catch the next elevator. That was some of the principles they had. Mike Pence, the last vice president, had a rule that he would not have a meeting with a woman unless his wife was present or something like that, you know. So, and I have rules that govern me that way too, but you, you gotta, you got listen, we're talking about more than, than just the natural. If it was just the natural it'd be a lot easier to avoid, right? But that's why I said what I said. The media, the world, and, and these next generations coming up, we got to be on guard. <clears throat> my, my son's getting ready to turn 30 his next birthday. But they can tell you that when they were allowed to have a cell phone, they had to turn it into us every night until they left the home. I, I'm talking about until they got 18 or went away to college, they turned them into us. There's a lot of reasons for that, but you know how the enemy loves to captivate people. 
right? So you don't be afraid to have guidelines for your children because the devil loves to use the gateway of the eye to captivate people and get in their lives and try to destroy them. And that's exactly what he did with Lot. Lot. Think about it. What if Lot had not looked toward Sodom? What if he hadn't looked that way? So you, you got to make sure that you guard your eyes, right? We used to sing that in Sunday school. Be careful little eyes. What you see. So he said, I made a covenant with my eyes. Then I shook then I, that I should not look up. Uh, when, when, why then should I look upon a young woman? And he says, For what is the allotment of God from above and the inheritance of the Almighty from on high? Is it not destruction for the wicked and disaster for the workers of iniquity? Does he not see my ways and count all my steps? I don't know. Somehow we've got this idea uh, that when we get involved in the wrong thing, this is human nature, I think, that we can get places where God can't see us. But that's how, that's how the enemy works, right? Because <clears throat> I love sharing this with you all because it changed my life because I realized that's how, how deception works. Sin. In the Hebrew where Eve was talking to the serpent, she said, the old King James will say, she, uh, he beguiled me. Uh, but the Hebrew says it this way, he caused me to forget. Isn't that how sin works? The devil will throw something in front of you and just for a second, just for a moment, you forget everything. You forget the consequences. You forget going against God. It's just like, it's like you're in a place where you're by yourself and God can't see you and nothing's going to, you know. That's how the enemy works. He causes us to forget. And so Job says, he, he sees my ways. He sees them. He counts my steps. If I have walked with falsehood or if I, my foot has hastened to deceit, let me be weighed on honest scales that God may know my integrity. If my step is turned, away, is turned from the way or my heart walked, from my, walked after my eyes, see, and he brings the eyes back into it here. He says, or if any spot adheres to my hands, then let me sow and, and another eat and, and, and let my harvest be rooted out. He said, if I've been cheating people, let somebody else come have my stuff. If my heart has been enticed by a woman or if I have lurked at my neighbor's door, then let my wife grind for another and let others bow down over her. In other words, he's saying, if I've been that way, then may my wife be that way. For that would be wickedness. Yes, it would be iniquity deserving of judgment. For that would be a fire that consumes to destruction and would root out all my increase. He said, if I'd lived like that, then I could understand why I've lost everything. Actually, if you go to Proverbs and it talks about that, how if people live sexually immoral, that it'll wind up costing them everything. He says, if I've despised the cause of my male or female servant when they complained against me, what then shall I do when God rises up? When he punishes now, shall I answer him? In other words, he's saying if, if I've not listened to others, right? If I've not been kind to others... Did not he who made, uh, who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one fashion us in the womb? In other words, he's getting into some New Testament stuff there saying how we're to treat one another, right? We're to treat one another, right? How we should, God, we can't bless God and curse me. And he said, if I have kept the poor from their desire or caused the eyes of the widow to fail, he says, or eaten any my morsel by myself so that the fatherless could not eat of it, but from my youth I reared him as a father. And from my mother's womb I guided the widow. If I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing or any poor man without covering. In other words, he said, I've always tried to live this way. If his heart has not blessed me, if he is not warmed with the fleece of my sheep, if I have raised my hand against the fatherless when I saw I had help in the gate, then let my arm fall from my shoulder and let my arm be torn from its socket. The destruction from God is a terror to me and because of His magnificence I cannot endure. He feared the Lord. That's why he lived that way. He feared the Lord. And, and because he feared the Lord, he lived a... I want to say he's living a Christian life here. And he says, if I had made gold my... Look what he says here. Now, Job was one of the richest guys that ever lived. 
And he's getting ready to be richer here in the next few chapters than he was to start with. Solomon, all the, the Solomon, some of these guys were way richer in the context of their lives than anybody is today. And he says, uh, if I made gold my hope, or said to find gold, you are my confidence. It's an interesting thing because that's a challenge for us today, right? To not make certain financial things our hope. Solomon said, riches can have a way of making wings and flying off, right? So we got to be careful that our hope and confidence is in the Lord. He can use things. He may use gold one day. He may send a raven to feed you another day. I mean, it's his prerogative, but we don't want to get our confidence in those things. He says, if I have rejoiced because my wealth was great and because my hand had gained much... And see, that's interesting stuff he's saying there because that's how a lot of people live. And, and it's not just rich people. A lot of people feel the same way about even smaller amounts of money. I have observed the sun when it shines or the moon moving in brightness uh, <clears throat> so that my heart has been secretly enticed and my mouth has kissed my hand. This also would be an iniquity deserving of judgment for I would have denied God who is above me. If I have rejoiced at the destruction of him who hated me or lifted myself up when evil found him, indeed I have not allowed my mouth to sin by asking for a curse on his soul. In other words, and there's a psalm that talks about this. You and I can rejoice that God will take care of our enemies, but we cannot rejoice in the specific failure of somebody because it's not God's will that any would perish, he says. By asking a curse for his soul. If men of my ten have not said, Who is there that has not been satisfied with his meat? But no sojourner had to lodge in the street, for I have opened my doors to the traveler. And then look what he says. He says, If I have covered my transgressions as Adam. So he knew about Adam, right? He knew about them getting the, the fig leaves. By hiding my iniquity in my bosom, because I feared the great multitude and dreaded the contempt of my of families, so that I kept silence and did not go out of the door. Oh, that I had one to hear me, here is my mark. Think about that. He said, I'm more concerned about being right with God than I am about what people think about me. Oh, that the Almighty would answer me, that my prosecutor had written a book. And that all came later. His prayer was answered. Surely I would carry it on my shoulder and bind it on me like a crown. I would declare to him the number of my steps like a prince I would approach him. If my land cries out against me and it furrows weep, and, and it furrows weep together, if I have eaten its fruit without money or caused its owners to lose their lives, then let thistles grow instead of wheat and weeds instead of barley. The words of Job are ended. Now, we're going to close there in just a second here. But imagine being in a situation where you are facing all the adversity he's facing and not being able to figure out why. He's going to get the why. What I would say, what we're going to see in the next part of this book as we come to the close of this book, is you're going to see God start answering him. God will answer you. He's done me that way in the last two years. Took me through situations that I felt blindsided in. And then over time, set me down, correct me, speak to me. Exactly what he's going to do with Job. And say, this is what I've got going on. You belong to me. How can the clay say to the potter, what are you doing with me? He's not allowed. God's making vessels of honor out of us. And suffering's a part of the journey. I hate to tell you that. I could sugarcoat it and tell you that suffering's not a part of the journey. But it is part of the journey. And people don't always suffer because they've done wrong. We saw the extremes of that with Lot, as I talked about tonight, 
And then Job, Job hasn't done anything in particular wrong. But what kind of man do you think he is once he come out on the other side? And there's plenty of people in the Bible like that. The three Hebrew boys. They got through in the fiery furnace for doing the right thing. See, there's a mindset, especially in us Americans, that think, well, if I'm going to do the right thing, then I'm not going to suffer. <laughs> That's not necessarily true. In fact, we, we're getting in a world now where there's far more people who don't serve God than do. And that's true of this country here, too. And so we're getting in the minority fast. And those three Hebrew boys, and here's the challenge for all of us. I'll leave you with this. When they said, you need to bow down, how many people do you think around them were saying, don't be causing no waves? Let's just... Let's just do what they've asked us. We're stuck here. Let's try to make the best out of a bad situation. What about those three guys? What do you think they were thinking? Maybe they were thinking, hey, you know what? We know our hearts. How many times have you used this as a cop-out, right? We know our hearts. We know we don't really worship that thing. That, but let's just bow down and fake it. We won't really worship. We'll just bow down and not stick out and be like everybody else. That's the challenge. That's the challenge for our children. That's the challenge for people in the workplace. It's a challenge for people everywhere, right? They could have reasoned that out and justified it maybe in their mind, but they refused. You know the story. They got bound, cast in the fiery furnace. They come out and didn't even smell like smoke. But where are those men and women who are stand-up people in a bowed-down world? Where are they? Is it you? Is it me? Where are the people that are stand-up men and women in a bowed-down world? May it be us. Father, we thank you for this moment. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. We don't have the strength in ourselves to make it in the season we're going in. We won't do it. We won't be able to make it in the season the world's getting ready to be plunged into without your help. So humbly, I come before you tonight and ask you to fill us fresh with the Spirit. Renew our minds and our hearts with your word. May we not get our eyes off on the wrong things in this life. May we not be looking at the wrong things. May we not look in the direction of things that we know are not pleasing to you and that would distract us or even discourage us or cause us to have a lack of faith. We pray, Lord, that you'll make us strong, that we can be that man and that woman that are stand-up people in a bowed-down world. In Jesus' name. Everybody said. So... Uh...